Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. First, let me say I'm excited to have back as my guest Mr. Jack Perez. He's a director, film, television, and he's uh, uh, going to be with us in just a moment. This is part two, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to start getting into things like storyboarding and and, and scene analysis and script breakdown and uh, motivated camera movement, a whole host of stuff. So you're going to want to stay tuned to this and, and other shows. Uh, but as I said, this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you're going to want to go back and listen to it, but you don't have to do it until after today's live show. If you are listening live right now, know that the chat room is open. Please reach out. Uh, we want to welcome you for being there and, and reach out to others. Have them join us in the chat room or just have them join us and listen. You can tweet them, uh, Facebook, email, phone call them, you know, grab them from across the room and say, hey, come and listen to the show. It's, it promises to be a good one, so you're not going to want to miss it. Also, all shows are recorded live, so uh, the links are good after the show has been recorded. So if you see this on Twitter and it says live or join us in 15 minutes or something, that link is still a good link to listen to the archived show because all of these interviews are archived at rexsykes.com. That's the official Rex Sykes Movie Beat website, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. Uh, that's me. And at the interviews blog, what you'll find there are the biographies of of each of my guests, directors, producers, writers, screenplay uh, actors, you know, you name it, they're there, cinematographers. Um, there's a biography, and inside that biography is the link to listen live or the link to listen archived. And if it's got a time and a date and it's upcoming, it hasn't happened yet. If it's a time and a date and it's a live show, you know, you just li- click on the link and you can listen. And if it's archived, it'll just say to listen because the show will have been in the past. Pay no attention, absolutely no attention to the blog creation date that you see on the thing, it has no relevance. The, all the information is contained inside the biography page. All right, so go ahead, reach out, and uh, and uh, grab a friend and listen live or archived. All these shows are also archived or stored as podcasts at the iTunes store. So you can subscribe and you can download over 225 interviews of professional filmmakers uh, that are giving away the farm. They're, they're sharing secrets, uh, gold nuggets, tips, suggestions, advice, how-tos, what not to do in order to help you make your projects faster, smoother, uh, with less expense and to advance your careers. And so Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I'm connecting you up with the professionals who are making it happen. And all we ask of you is that you share these interviews with others. Go ahead, post them on your Facebook wall. Go ahead and tweet about them. Go ahead, email them. Share them anywhere and everywhere. When you listen to the show live, and we're going to start the show in just a moment. I'm going to bring Jack on, I promise. But uh, when you listen to the show, leave comments right there where you're listening to the show. 
friend us, follow us, whatever. Um, and when you uh, get the the podcast, whether you get one podcast, ten podcasts, or all all over two hundred of them when you subscribe, um, leave. A, a review or rate the show because when you do this it increases our visibility to others and makes the show more popular and more people can find out about us all right so um without any further ado let me introduce jack to you and um if uh, again if you're listening live or uh, otherwise please go ahead and uh, tweet about this live tweets are always appreciated Mr. Jack Perez is a 20-year veteran of the motion picture and television industry. He's directed nine feature films. He's a recipient of awards for both writing and directing, and he's received the critical praise of Roger Ebert, Harry Knowles, uh, from Ain't It Cool News, a drive-in critic, Joe Bob Briggs, Fangoria Film Threat, the L.A. Weekly, the Austin Chronicle, Austin Chronicle, and the New York Times. Now, Jack graduated with honors from New York with from New York. Um, uh, University's Department of Film and Television, and in his early career, he was hired by Sam Raimi and Universal Studios to direct the pilot for the popular television series Xena, uh, Princess Warrior. Uh, following uh, his work on, on uh, Xena, Perez directed the acclaimed feature films The Big Empty, a revisionist private eye, uh, which completed the, which, which, I'm sorry, a revisionist private eye tale which uh, competed at the AFI uh, Film Fest, winning the Writers Guild Best New Writer Award. The black comic thriller La Cucaracha, uh, which was honored as Best Feature Award at the Austin Film Festival and was released theatrically to excellent reviews. And in the recent years, um, Perez directed Wild Things 2 for Sony Columbia, wrote and directed the MTV horror send-up Monster Island, and wrote and directed the camp sci-fi spectacular and internet sensation Megashark vs. Giant Octopus. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk with Jack in just a second. His recent uh, offering is "Some Guy Who Kills People." It's a delightful film. I've talked about it here before. We've had Jack talking about it. We've had pro- producer Ryan Levin talking about it, and uh, one of the stars of the movie, Barry Bostwick, here as well. So um, I'm gonna bring Jack on right now. I'm here. How you doing, Jack? I'm good, Rex. How are you? Good. Now let me see. I uh, wow, that, that was a long intro. I apologize yeah, for all that. That's, everybody. A, that's a very flattering um, setup. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean I don't mean your intro. I just meant with all the announcements. Oh right. It, it, yeah. it, it, but but uh, no, that uh, you know I uh, I love having you on the show. You're you're you're. Uh, uh, very illuminating. I mean, you bring a lot of, of different aspects of filmmaking and, and the television business to light uh, in, in our previous discussion, and, and uh, you've done a lot of different things, and, and they're, they're all very cool. And I and I and I told you, you know, how much I enjoyed some guy who kills people, yeah, and uh, I'm just really happy to have you back. Oh, thanks so much. No, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. So, um, for those listening live or archived, and for those in the chat room, um, if you're in the chat room, I ask you just go ahead and continue to ask people to continue to join us. Uh, this has been an incredible morning for me, trying to get everything ready. Um, so, uh, you know, I haven't tweeted like I probably should have, um, but uh, so if you can help me out, I would appreciate it. Jack, look, we were talking and and talking about the, you know the things that we could discuss today, and mm-hmm. and uh, one of them was you know storyboarding and 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 scene analysis or breakdown. And and um, and uh, you and I were talking about how how uh, when you first met Ryan Levin, the producer of the film, and you had an interview, um, you know, kind of what you brought in with you when, when right. you interviewed. Could you uh, could you share that with the listeners today? Sure, sure. Well, like as some people know, you know, John Landis was originally um, 
on board to, to direct some guy who kills people. And and when he went off to make his movie Burke and Hare, which was kind of a long gestating personal project of his, he had to he had to leave the movie. And Ryan, you know, was left with you know having to find another director. So when I interviewed, he was looking at a bunch of of different directors, and that you know that's always the case. I mean, even you know, even when you know they're looking for a director for a huge, you know, 150 million dollar uh, picture, rarely is there one guy, you know, that that is on the list, and that's all they're going to go to. Usually, there's a there's several people that they go down. You know, the A list, you know, they go down. They they approach so and so, and if he says no, then they go to number two. And so in my case, you know, even though this was you know just a, you know a small movie, they were you know Ryan was still you know, looking at a bunch of different guys. And I didn't know who else he was looking at, but all I knew is that I wanted very much passionately to do to do the movie. So all I could really do, and that's all you can really do when you go into an interview, um, is just bring as much genuine enthusiasm. Um I mean sometimes <laughs> sometimes you go and you interview for 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 a movie and um, you just want the job because you need to eat and you need to muster up that enthusiasm. But in the case of some guy, I mean, I was really genuinely passionate about wanting to make this movie. I felt like I could be somehow um, revitalized or, or uh, you know, we were talking earlier about the business. And I think uh, when you were reading my bio, you said veteran, you know, of, and I think that's a good word because it's, it's such a hard business. So there are times where you need to do something that's going to feed the soul. So this script was that. So what I found and what I found in, you know, going all the way back to film school is that when I am genuinely inspired by a piece of material or a story that I want to direct, the images come pretty easily. Um, it's almost like when you get into a book uh, and you're reading and, and you just sort of disappear into the book. When you read a script or uh, that you're connecting with, the imagery comes pretty fast. And so I find myself, uh, a good thing to do is to just start scribbling those images down, which really become, they're really your first storyboards. Uh, so when I was reading the script for Some Guy Who Kills People, these the thing that told me I wanted to direct it was that the images, shots, shots were coming into my head. I mean, I was seeing the movie. Um, part of it had to do with how it was written. But mm -hmm. most scripts don't go into, you know, the compositional elements of a shot or camera movement or anything like that. They they just provide enough to trigger in somebody who thinks visually those shots. So I was scribbling these shots down and, and, and a lot of some of them had to do with some of the murder scenes, some of them had to do with some of the more intimate scenes. Um you know, there's Ken Ken Boyd, the main character that Kevin Corgan plays in the movie, is a guy, kind of a lonely guy who spends a lot of time not talking to people, alone in his room, sort of brooding. And those images came too. Anyway, so when I went to the meeting with Ryan, I, you know, I was talking about it, and I started, you know, all these different aspects of the movie, and I started to flip through the script that they had given me, and there in the margin were, uh, you know, a handful of these little sketches, and they were not beautiful drawings or anything. They were just sort of scribbles. I mean, they weren't, you know, they you could tell what they were, but they weren't what you classically consider, you know, these polished storyboards. They just they were enough to show the composition of the shot and the, if there was any camera movement, I, you know, indicated with arrows whether the camera would be tracking or zooming or panning or what have you. Um 
And I think Ryan was very taken with that, you know, the idea that I had even spent any time, you know, putting down on paper these images, even though I didn't have the job yet. It was a way of communicating, I see this thing. Uh-huh. I, I, I see, I see this thing, and I think that's a real. That's the thing about directing. That's like one of the real, book kind of like foundational elements is can, can you see the movie? Um, and so, I mean, that was really the beginning. And I, 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 you know, we can totally get into different aspects of it. But I think there's a book that John Sales wrote um, many years ago, which I thought was uh, a very. It has a great title, which is called Thinking in Pictures. Uh-huh. Um, which is more about, which I think is a document specifically of uh, the making of his film Mate One. But really, it's about that part of the directorial process, which is can you see this movie shot by shot, you know, shot by shot, scene by scene? How well do you see it? Because the director is the one who's saying this is what we're doing next. This is the shot we're doing next, and it, it and that's that's really the that's the step by step process of directing, at least visually. I'm not even talking about the acting part, but at least being able to visualize the movie. So that I knew I I had to do the movie when I started to see this thing, like from the from the get go. Um, I don't know if that that <laughs> sort no, of a long, great. long so answer, but but that's <laughs> a, but that's sort of like how it begins. I think. Well, um, let let me. Can I ask you this? Uh, I I think that's fascinating. Now, some people are more visual than other people, and and, I mean, the the images come more readily, or they're able if they if they aren't like gifted with images that come to them, they're able to create the imagery, or they're able to take, for example, a storyboard and translate it into at least a mental image. But but some people aren't that aware of their imagery, and I don't want to go into the whole brain science or anything. But I'm just saying some some people don't really see it you know they can think about it they can they can imagine it but they they don't or they can talk about it but they don't necessarily they're not necessarily a visual artist so for 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 in your case you know you're seeing the movie in your head and and you can storyboard it and uh, later we'll talk about you know shooting to cut you know or or cutting in your head things like that because because they got to be into you know they're intimately connected but the definitely but for those people who aren't that visual, or for those directors who may not be that visual, um, do you have any advice or any suggestions well, or anything? Yeah, that they, I mean, or, I think that. You, yeah, no, I, I think the thing is, is that, um, and you bring up a really good point because I think a director who isn't necessarily, I mean, look, there, there, there are degrees of. Uh, there's, a, there's an evolutionary process in in directing uh, visually. I think that 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 most people who go into directing are uh, should be or are um, more visual than than they are necessarily. Um, what's the uh, in other words, they're they're more visual as opposed to being a scribbler or a writer. In other words, it, it, some people. I think the problem is is that um, if you're not if you're not a visual person, if you don't respond um, to imagery, or if you respond more to the written word than to the eye, um, then I don't think directing, I, th- I think that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of a strange thing to pursue because I think that writing and directing, although you get a lot of people who can do both, or not a lot of people, but, but, but some. And, and actually, I remember in, when I was in film school, that was very much in vogue, the writer-director, kind of like the total auteur. But when you look at it, when you look at the really great directors, um, most of them, although they have an appreciation for writing and, and can certainly write, 
that that first and foremost they they're they're visual people um and I think that what happens is it's funny if you ever watch movies that are made this is an interesting kind of test if you've ever seen a movie made by somebody who is typically known as a famous screenwriter and this happens a lot in Hollywood it has, you know where you where somebody will make will write a dozen blockbuster scripts for the studios mm-hmm. and then almost like a cookie the, the studio will go well you know what you can direct one um because the writer is a lot of writers, and, and for good reason, feel that directors sometimes mess up their their vision. So uh-huh. there is this kind of one need to control, um, which is understandable. But you'll see movies made by writers who are who are really just writers. That's what they do, and they'll, there's this disconnect that I've noticed that happens. Um, in other words, it's like it, it doesn't it it doesn't sing the way. Because it's another language. I guess that's what I'm getting at. The visual language is a different language from the written language. And Scorsese, like, you know, when he talks about Taxi Driver, he made a very interesting statement where he says, I knew what this movie was about. I felt it. You know, I could see it. But I couldn't put it into words. Paul Schrader was able to put it into words. I was able to put it into pictures. And I think there's the sort of delineation between those two very... They're connected, but they're totally different. And um, so writers can do things that directors can't do. Directors can do things that writers can't do. If, if, you're, not, if you're not a real visual person, I guess, and you want to direct, I think the thing is to look. Um, I mean, it goes without saying probably that, that, that whoever, if you want to be a director, you've seen a lot of movies or movies have inspired you. So one of the things to do is to look at, start looking at the movies that have inspired you and try to see them exclusively visually. In other words, to try to remove, if you watch a scene from, say, like pick a classic scene, like the ending of Casablanca, you know, the famous scene that everybody knows with with Rick and Elsa at the at the airport, where he says, you know, you know, you know, he's looking at you, kid. You know, um, if you look at that scene, you know, people remember the lines. You know, they remember Bogart. They remember. But start to look at like what Michael Curtiz, the director, is doing visually to underscore what's going on emotionally in that very tense scene. And it's uh-huh. interesting. If you look at that movie, there's all kinds of stuff, particularly that scene. But the whole movie, if you look at that scene, just look at that scene, there's all kinds of interesting camera moves and um, lighting choices and compositional choices that are all making that, very romantic, you know, bittersweet, tragic, whatever you want to call it, suspenseful moment, scene, come alive. So it's almost like, you know, turn the mute, turn the volume down, you know, and look at the scene silently and see what's happening just pictorially and start making those kind of notes because a lot of directors will just sort of, visual or visually oriented people will already sort of speak the language in a way having seen a million movies and have, their brain is just are just wired that way that's why so many directors early on um and this is per- perfectly cool and i did it myself where you just start mimicking the cool shots that you've seen and that's how a lot of us start in film school you start you see shots in movies and you say i want to do that shot and you figure out how to do it and you do it and you kind of apply a shot you've seen in a in a in a you know a Scorsese movie or a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or whatever you've seen and you kind of graft it onto your own movie and that's like that's actually a good way to start too 
It's just because at least you're recognizing what are the elements of the particular shot. You're saying, hmm, was this a low angle or was it a high angle? Was the camera dolling or was it zooming? Is it is it is it a wide angle lens or is it a long lens? You know, you have to kind of start to become familiar with the the technical aspects of what makes a shot. So then if you do that then you can do the art. You know, in a way it's like when they teach you you know, you gotta learn your ABCs and be able to read, you know, C spot run before you can like become James Joyce. You know, you have to be able to break it down in a very sort of elemental way. Um I think if you're if you're trying to learn how to become visual. Um I think one of the things that was in, is interesting though to know and we can get into this more is that there is an intuitive part of the process that is I think even probably even more important and that can come with um that can come with time where you just begin to um like I said see the movie and you're able to just like set it down almost the way a, a jazz pianist is able to just like play um and in a way that that's like speaking like like when you speak of when you speak language when you speak English or whatever language you speak you're not really thinking about I'm going to put this word and then this word you're not thinking about the grammar <laughs> you're not thinking about right, right. It. it just kind of comes out and that's where you want to get and that's where you really when you really get into the art of it you know where it ceases to become this mechanical sort of thing it becomes it really becomes art but that take and take many many years it certainly did for me you know i was i was i thought i was i was pretty clunky you know early on as many movies as i'd seen when i was in film school and first starting out i was pretty you know clunky it took a while before there was that click you know which which we can talk about but um yeah it's elusive in a way you know i mean that's why um, you know, when I teach, you know, they, what they can teach you at film school, and I'm sure a number of your listeners know about this, but, you know, there's these fundamentals of breaking down a, a scene visually, which is just mm-hmm. called coverage. You know, there's 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 this term called coverage, you know, getting the coverage of a given scene. And, um, you know, and that consists of, like, those are the basic building blocks visually of storytelling where, you know, if you shoot a scene and it's you and me at a cafe or at a coffee shop talking, then you get the wide shot. Well, first of all, you get the you get you go outside and you get the exterior of the of the restaurant, so we know where we are. Then you go inside and you get the wide shot of of you and me. You know, maybe it's a profile of us talking, and then you go in and do the over the shoulders, over my shoulder onto you, over your shoulder onto me, and then we get maybe two close ups or two singles. And if you do that, which is the coverage, you know. Establishing shot, master, over the shoulder, close up. If you do that for any scene, basically, you're covered, which means that, you know, you always will have every piece that you need in order to make for the scene to make sense. You won't miss anything. That's what the word coverage really refers to. You're covered, Mm -hmm. like insurance. But there's no art to it. And every television show and every sitcom, every movie of the week, not every movie of the week, but every sort of lifetime you know they they're all they're all built on this coverage principle they're all shot that way they all have a very familiar look and it always makes sense but there's no very there's very little art in it um and so that's what that's what you can start with once you understand like coverage which is like the abc's then you can grow and you can become you know 
Martin Scorsese or Stanley Kubrick or Jim Jarmusch or anybody who like transcends, you know, that that basic way of speaking, which is a very you know objective, you know, here it is, nuts and bolts kind of storytelling. And um, so that's the beginning. I mean, that's one of the things that that usually most film students start with is understanding that those principles of coverage. Um, but I think that's just the very beginning, you know. I think I totally took a long way around. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's great. That's why we're here is to is to hear you talk and extemporaneous and 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 to give it away. I mean, that's fantastic. Um, one of the things that I I found, you know, is growing up in film. It being a, it, in part of my life, I also teach, you know, or do seminars and and, and workshops and stuff. And whether whatever behavioral component you're trying to learn, you know, there's 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 always the phrase, you know, you know, chance favors a prepared mind and. One of the things I, I encourage people to do with filmmaking, and I, and, I, and I hear this coming from you, is is that you know sometimes we look at movies and we watch a movie, and I say you have to study a movie. You've got to go in and you got to you got to watch it multiple times over and over and over. But you got to wear different hats when you do it. Like what you were saying about coverage. You know, if you watch, you know, Maltese Falcon, or you watch. Uh, um, um, Casablanca, or you watch any movie. If you go and you watch, and you do just what you said. You know, you look at it for how how the director, you know, chose his shots, how he got his coverage. Um, you know, is it a close up? You, you you talked about you know lens choices, and you know, are they you know wide angle or or or, or not? You know, what is the lens that they're using at the time? If you just keep going back and watching it, but each time you try and narrow your, I always say narrow your. Uh, field so that because when you first watch a movie, when I first watch a movie, typically if it's a great movie, I'm caught up in it and I may bounce back and forth. But I can't really, I don't really want to comment on it if I'm enjoying it. So you know, I go back and look at it later and go, you know, okay, now this was a, you know, this was a tracking shot and this was a crane shot and this is what they did here and what they did there and this is how they lit that. But you can't do all of that at one time either. So it's it's like trying to go. Can I just pay attention to camera movement? Can I just and it, it's really chunking it down. But if I can just pay attention to camera movement, it's going to be hundreds of times that I get caught up and forget about it. But if I brought, bring my attention back to camera movement every time I notice that I'm distracted, then I'm going to be, start to pay, become more and more aware of camera movement. If the next time I I come back to you know how they use uh, the lighting or or let's stick with camera, how they use the you know close up or or you know. Um, I don't know if I'm being as cogent as I want to be, but it's no, it's no. I think, being, I think you're right on. I think that's 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 right. I mean, it's funny because uh, you know, I. Um, it's like you study each nut individually, you know, that's right. and then you, move move to the next one and build it up. That's right. Yeah, I think you have to be. This is what's so interesting. I think the the learning process is you're being much more of a scientist or almost like a biologist. And you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You can't look at everything at once unless you, your mind works that way. But it, right. it does behoove you to kind of isolate it departmentally and say, let's, let's listen to where the, where the music cues come in or let's right. look at the cutting style here. And let, and each time you go back and it's, I've had, you know, my wife once asked me, you know, it, it, you know, she's an artist, but she's not a filmmaker. She said, you know, doesn't it, does it does it ruin it for you that you know every single how every single thing is done?" And, I'm, and it's never it's never ruined it for me. You know, it's never gotten to the. I mean, I can tell you, I can I've watched you know the same movies for inspiration a mazillion times, and I can by this point I know every single way every single shot was done, every moment, and it still doesn't take away from the enjoyment getting caught up in the movie if the movie you know works which you know and so i think that it's just the joy of being a filmmaker is to 
sort of see it as as much in its its, its smallest parts, you know, because that's how you learn. I mean, that's and that's how you go out and do it. Because directing has to be well, it doesn't have to be, but I think the the best the way to be a really good director is to have is to be able to direct really, and the only way you can direct is to have a command of the of the language, command of 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 the filmmaking uh, parts, and to keep it from being an abstract thing. I mean, some people get into direction directing because, well, you're the boss and everybody looks to you, and it's an ego thing. And you know, I remember I was in film school, and there was a guy who was directing, and he actually showed up with like a white silk scarf wrapped around, you know, like, you know. And I remember even then being like, really, you know, like, and and but I didn't see him making very many, you know, strong directorial choices. He was sort of kind of just posing. And you know, and anyone, and and people would come up to him and say, well, "What's the next shot?" And he would be like, "Well, you know, I think it needs to." You know, it's almost like a that, that scene in Barton Fink. I wanted to have that Barton Fink feeling, you know. But that, what does that mean? You know, it's like you you don't you don't want to. If you have a vision, then you don't want to leave it up to your crew to try to like just guess and interpret. I mean, there's an interpretation factor anyway. You know, if you're not physically shooting the movie yourself, um, you know, and there are some directors who do that. You know, Soderbergh is somebody who likes to shoot his own movies because you really have your own, you can have your hand on it, or Robert Rodriguez, or certainly Stanley Kubrick. Anytime there were any handheld shots in his movies, he did them personally because he wanted a very specific. But, you know, in general, you know, you're, you're, you're giving direction to everybody, including your cameraman, and he's got a. You can say, "I want the camera right here at this height with this lens, and it's going to move from here to here." But somebody's still got to push the dolly. Somebody's going to operate the camera. So there's always going to be a degree of interpretation. So you want to like, you want to get rid of as much of that as possible by understanding and speaking the language of the technicians you're working with. And then you get a lot of respect too. I learned that. I think I became. Uh, you know, when I was in film school, I was quite neurotic. You know, I was like, sort of like, you know, almost like a nervous wreck. Like I need to, I, I told myself I needed to learn this stuff um, because I didn't want to be almost, I didn't want to be caught with my pants down. You know, it's almost like I, it's almost like I was, it was like school. Like I didn't want to fail. I wanted to know when somebody called on me and said, what is this? Or what is, you know, what's the difference between a wide angle lens and a long lens? I wanted to know that because I didn't want to get busted. You know, later it became clear that, you know, God, I need to know this if I'm going to be a filmmaker. I, and as I got more familiar with the technical aspects and as I got my hands on everything, this is another really good thing when you're making films, whether in film school or with your friends, is to do every job. You know, you've probably heard this as a cliche, but it's, but it's, it's true. You know, shoot, shoot a movie for somebody. You know, operate the camera, light a movie for somebody, hold the boom, record the sound, cut them, cut somebody else's movie, because you get familiar with with all the aspects. So that when you and you learn so much, and then when you go do your own movie, you can say to an editor, "No, that should be two. Let's make the cut two frames earlier," or you say to the DP, "No, let's. You know, I want the camera just. You know." Just just six inches lower because that's going to make the shot more commanding or it's going to communicate. And you'll see people, your crew, suddenly go, "Wow!" You know, they give they they're like, "This guy knows what he's talking about." And and they and there's respect that goes with somebody, with a crew member looking at a director, knowing that, "Wow, this guy has done my job before. He's not just this guy sitting on a high horse giving orders. This is a guy who's been, you know, 
in the field. And uh, it's almost like, you know, when you look at World War movies or you know, even recent war movies, it's always, it's always the staff sergeant who's leading the platoon who gets way more respect from the grunts than the, you know, the lieutenant, you know, that the, the 90 day wonder that just shows up and goes, Hey, uh, take that hill. Uh, I don't know how you do it, but just go do it. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a real respect and a unity that can come from understanding uh, the medium from a technical standpoint. And then, like I said, like once you start to do that, then you can start to grow as an artist and you'll feel very com- more confident about trying things and you'll start to find your own, kind of your own voice or, or, or your own eye um, as a director. I think one of the things you can do besides looking at movies, uh, you know, breaking it down beat by beat or, or, or moment by moment, technically, is to think about those scenes in movies that really... Forget about a whole movie. Think about those individual scenes or moments from movies that really um, resonated with you. You know, like most people can pick, you know, like this scene in that movie just killed me. Or this this, move, this, this, this moment never went away. I always remember this moment from this movie. And start with those moments that really had the most impact on you because there's the key to your own, I think there's a key to your own style somewhere in those moments. In other words, you might find a technique. It wasn't just the moment per se in the story, but it was how it was told by by the filmmaker. And you can start to recognize, oh shit, you know, I I think I like zooms for some reason, you know, or I I, I you know, there there are things you'll start to recognize. Like, but go to those moments that really, you know, knocked you on your ass because there's a key to finding maybe your own uh, style in there. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's one. No, of the it, it does, it does, and and I really like it. And and again, I mean, it's the, you know, when, when as we're discussing this, there's no, you know, one way necessarily uh, better than another. I, I say experience revisited is is kind of like the the mother of wisdom because the more that you go back and look, well, you said a moment ago about your wife saying, well, doesn't this spoil it if you know everything? I think it's it's like. I don't know. Maybe the the physicist, you know, or uh, you know, an astronomer approaching the universe, you know, in the sense that the the, the more that you know is out there, the the or the more intricate you know the workings are of something, the more appreciation you have for it. Um, I oftentimes, you know, like uh, I looked at, say, for example, Transformers Three, and whether you like or don't like the movie, I go technologically to to combine CGI and live action and and all this stuff to me is just for me it's mind-boggling to imagine how they put this stuff together with all of the with all this stuff you know whether it's that movie or it's something like some guy that that who kills people you know i mean it's 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 about the telling of a story you know and impacting an audience emotionally and grabbing them, you know, hooking them, and having them go, you know, have an experience of it, so that they do remember it. And and you know what you said a moment ago about the scenes. I, I've got a whole bunch of points here to, to follow up with with kind of what we're talking about. But but you know, you go through and you look at you know a movie and you try and break it down to its its smallest components. The other thing that you said that's that's really crucial, I think, is learning the precise language to say something is Barton Fink like, or I want it like Barton Fink. Um, to some degree, is almost completely meaningless because we're all going to interpret that differently. I mean, I don't That's know right, what you yeah. think about Barton Fink, but I, how I think about Barton Fink, and if you say, well, you know, eerie or, or chiller or thriller or, uh, you know, I, I want it, you know, I mean, it, the, all those phrases don't mean much to anybody, you know, and, and I see so many directors and, and writers who will say, 
you know, whether it's directing someone in a scene or describing the scene or talking about the film, you know, they talk. At, it, you, you might as well be talking a foreign language to some people sometimes because they're they're talking in such generalities that your crew and your cast can't actually act on them. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And again, I think I became more adept at at, at those at understanding, you know, uh, the way the way movies work, simply so that I wouldn't be in a situation where people would look at me and say, you know, and call kind of bullshit on me. Like you're, you know, because there are a lot of people who in this business in Hollywood who just talk a good talk and pose a good pose, and it's amazing how far you can get. But you know, it. I don't think that the the way to evolve as an artist. Um, is is to pose, you know. I mean, at a certain point, you know, even if everybody believes you, you know, you're going to know in yourself that you're full of shit, you know. And <laughs> so it depends how seriously, you know, what your goal is. If your goal is to express yourself through the through the medium of film, then it makes sense that you got to understand, you know, what 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 are the components of filmmaking and and explore it. And um, you know, in the case of some guy who kills people. You know, one of the things I wanted to get into because I think this is this is the real. There's like a uh, there's a disconnect. I think there's a reason why, for example, there's a, there there are people who are kind of technocrats or technically minded that talk almost in a mathematical, scientific. Right. And then there's this uh, this sort of um, feeling thing, you know, where you're like, I want this kind of feeling, and this is what. And and it, I, in a way, as much as I detest that sort of um, loose, you know, thing that I'm, I, I, you know, to be able to say like, okay, this scene, art, artists, people who are directors or writers, you know, you or actors really. I mean, I, certainly you would understand this. Um, you know, are very sensitive people, uh, and I don't mean this in a kind of a wimpy way, but it's just you just you're very connected to, to your feelings and how things feel. They have an impact on you. You know, you're 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 not a scientist first and foremost. You're a, you're a feeling person um that's the only way anybody's able to act a scene and and that's the only really way someone can direct a scene is that you have to be able to understand what's going on emotionally in 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 the in the movie to be able to set it down to 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 convey it but the trick is is how do you make the connection between that initial like say you you like in the case of some guy who kills people there's so many different and in any movie but in some guy who kills people there's so many different Ver- there's so many variants of feeling in the movie. There's there's feelings of anxiety and there are feelings of terror and there's feelings of warmth and there's feelings of loneliness and there are romantic moments um, and feelings of loss and regret. You know, I think when you're looking at a scene as a director, um, you, you should you try to as- kind of assign very basic emotions. Or feelings to to a scene. You read a scene, and you can discuss it. Okay, what is what am I getting from this? Is this a sad scene? Is this a happy scene? Is this a suspenseful scene? That's the fun. That's the starting point. It's sort of like figuring out what the tone or the emotion, the key emotion. Maybe there's more than one, but you know, figure. Try to figure out what those. That's that should be pretty simple. And then the thing is, okay, how do I communicate this? visually or how do i communicate this through filmmaking and this is where a lot of the people go off the rails because they say i know this is an anxious scene help me dp create the feeling of anxiety with your camera and that's not directing that's sort of like passing the buck you know and this is why i've always 
sort of hated the term director of photography because I feel uh-huh. like in a way that 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 conveys way too much of the decision making process. I mean, a director of photography is, is should be is definitely a, a chief collaborator, but but if he's directing the photography, then I mean, I like cinematographer or even better, I like photographed by you know as a credit um, rather than director of photography because I think the director is the one who should be saying this is where the camera goes, and this is the lens that we're using. Uh huh. Um, to convey, to best convey the moment. And I think what you should do as a, as, a, as a young filmmaker is start with the basic thing, which is just, which is lens. I mean, I, I had this real interesting moment in film school, which I considered a breakthrough moment for me, which was a key, a huge key to my own way of looking at uh, shooting movies. I mean, was that we were shooting in film school with these 16 millimeter um Cameras, Aria, they were called their Aeroflex cameras, called the Aries, which is a silent, a silent film camera that that is a real workhorse. You can hammer nails with the thing, and it had a um, it had a bayonet mount with three lenses on the. Basically, it had like a you could rotate between three different lenses, and they gave us this camera at NYU pre- precisely to teach us like the basic principles of lenses, and there really there are just three types of lenses. There's a long lens or a telephoto lens, which is basically every Michael Bay shot you've ever seen in your life is on a long lens, which is, you know, essentially a lens that brings the object much closer with a narrow depth of field and it's very portraity. In other words, it gives it that very sort of magazine glamour shot where your background is out of focus and your foreground is sharp and it Long lenses have been favored by a lot of directors, and they've been used to good effect. I use the Michael Bay thing because there's a look to those movies that that most people know, and that's a long lens. And then there are normal lenses, which is in 35-millimeter terms is the 50, the 50-millimeter 50 lens, which really approximates how the eye normally sees, when you just, the way you're looking at the world through your own eyes. And a 50-millimeter lens is used on, oh, gee, it's used a lot um, because it's, it's, it's very like it's not um, an interpretive lens. In other words, it's just it's just very kind of here it is. So sitcoms and you know news and anything that's really basic uses that. And then there are wide-angle lenses where you know you get a, a great degree of distortion, um, where the world is 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 looking very differently from the normal eye. Um, and the wide-angle lens is favored by people like. Orson Welles and the Coen Brothers and um, and Alfred Hitchcock and John Frankenheimer and the whole host of and anyway so what I was what I was doing is I was I realized as I was playing with this camera and I was setting up a shot just a just a like a two shot a shot of two people I was rotating the lens just to see what the difference would be I looked at it through the normal lens and I looked at it and I said okay I can see two people there I looked at it through the longer lens. And that really brought everything too close, and I wasn't. And I flipped it, and I, I went to the wide lens, and all of a sudden something clicked. Something about the way those two people looked through that particular lens. It was like, oh my God, this is how I see. This is how I've been seeing it in my head, and I made a connection between the optics, you know, just and my own feeling. And I was, mm-hmm. in, and that's what I'm getting at. It's like you start to, you should start to link up 
the feelings that you have about something with the technical specifics. And in that way, it becomes less about like doing a math problem when you're setting up a shot. It just becomes a a choice. Or I hate this cliche, but it's another paint in your you know in your paint box or your another tool in your toolbox. It, it's because it's true. It's like once you realize that oh, this is how I see the world. I see it through this kind of lens. Maybe it's not exclusively that, but but it'll, it'll, you'll be surprised at, at how if you can just uh, if you can just sort of make the connection, which is why looking at key scenes that inspired you, if you can decide, well, wait a minute, what what's what lens are they using here? Is that do I like this because of how how it looks? Um, do I like the it's because of the angle? What what is it? Um, and so bit by bit, you know, through this kind of analysis, you'll start to see which techniques speak to you specifically. And you realize, you'll start to see that, that those are the techniques you start to use over and over again. And, um, you know, and some of those choices that I've discovered in film school or choices that I've made, many of those choices are made in some guy who kills people. Um, because that's how I, you know, this is how I would communicate Ken's feeling of alienation through this particular camera move cause, or this particular lens because that's what those those technical choices that's what spells alienation or loneliness to me. Um, it's like you're creating your own language, really is is what it is. Um, your own glossary, you know. Um, so I, I think it's uh, I think it's a fascinating journey that that we all go on as uh, as filmmakers is to start to accumulate these techniques that that spell how we see the world or how we feel the world um i don't know if that makes sense but that's sort of like that's sort of like how it how it works for me it does it does absolutely i really appreciate that um you know what jack i want to take a short break and just sure. uh, uh, do that and then we'll come back and continue this discussion i'm enjoying this uh, very very much Oh, I'm glad. Sure. No, immensely was the word I was looking for. Um, It's incredible. So, all right, you're listening to RexSykes.com. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, the official website for Rex Sykes Movie Beat. All of the interviews are stored and archived at the interviews blog right there at RexSykes.com, as well as as podcasts at iTunes. Be sure to go ahead and get all of them. If you're listening live or archived, please share these with others. Reach out and and have them listen after the show is aired. It's always recorded live, so the link that you see on Twitter or Facebook is still good. Uh, you can go ahead and repost that link, um, or you can you know, copy and paste it and post it yourself. But uh, we really appreciate it when you share it. Let me tell you about my upcoming guests. This Wednesday at uh, 11 Eastern and uh, 8 Pacific time is uh, Paul Provenza. Paul's a writer, director, comic, I shouldn't say comic, comedian, author, and and actor. He'll be joining us again. Peter Pastorelli is a producer, and he's just wrapped up another feature film, and he'll be joining us thereafter on the 17th. Um, Helen McCready is going to join us on the 15th. She's casting director. She returns. Uh, Joe Biagio, TV producers, uh, Scream Queens, and and others are coming up on the 24th. Um, Gary Marsh on the 31st. He is the founder of Breakdown Services and Actors Access. Paul Batista, entertainment attorney, will be joining us in August, I mean, sorry, in September, as 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 will many others. I don't have the complete list for you here, but those are some of them, so stay tuned, and please do continue to share. Uh, let people know about the chat room, and also just keep sharing these interviews with your friends and your uh, uh, movie maker friends and contacts. Thanks so much, and now back to Mr. Jack Krez, director of Some Guy Who Kills People. 
Um, you know, Jack, it, I, I have so much that I, I want to comment on, and um, but I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to use a, a, a poor analogy, but but from another part of the arts to to say what I think a director does. Uh-huh. And that is, he's, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry about this, he's an no, orchestra conductor. <laughs> he's an orchestra conductor. Because when you think of an orchestra, and this is just to put it another way, there's all these different elements. There's flutes, there's winds, you know, woodwinds, and there's percussion, and there's strings, and there's horns, and there's all this kind of stuff. And it all has to be assembled. And then there's different beats and tempos and things that are going on, and this person sits there and conducts this to create, a, you know, sensations for the listener. You know that allows them to visualize and to feel and to hear and to do all this stuff and and um so some things are quieted down and some things are brought up and some things are sped up and some things are slowed down. You know it's an interesting thing because the film director, from where we're talking about you know storyboards, he sees it in his head or she don't let me don't let me be uh you know sexist here with both genders equally, but she they see it in their head. They storyboard it. They have to bring it to the screen. So things like lens choice. I like what you said. You know that the director should be choosing the lenses. You know, I mean, in the sense that the director should know what um, lens he or she wants to convey the story to to right. give it the maximal impact, or raising the camera or lowering the camera. What what that does in terms of uh, creating a, a feeling or sensation in the viewer. So now they have that. Now we talked a little earlier too. And then, and then there's movement and, and, and coverage and all the different aspects of, of putting these things together. Now we talked, and we will again, talk about performance or about communication, both for cast or crew. For example, you can tell someone in a scene to be more loving, and you could sit through 20 takes while they try and figure out what that meant. Um, you could tell, and some people won't like it, but you could tell somebody, just look at her lips, you know, and then look at her eyes when you say the line, and that might make it more loving. I mean, in other words... You know, you you need to be able to communicate precisely for what you want, in in order to 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 get that across. And then, you you get you've got you know, you, you, the stuff that you do with your camera and all that stuff and the lighting to create the mood. And, and then you've got all the stuff to do with the performance to create the mood. Now you get to the end, and now you got to cut it together right. and create a mood, and then add sound, and then add music and everything else. So you know. You know, and and the importance of you know how do you build a performance in editing and who do you cut away from if they aren't as strong as the other person and right. what about timing and pacing and all these things and then when does the music come in and and how does it come in and and I, what I wanted to ask you is if you had you know and you mentioned before about seeing scenes that you know like spoke to you those ones that are memorable and I I, I would say again those are the kinds of things that I want to go back and I want to look at and I want to say. This really, you know, I, I mean, I cried in this, or I laughed in this, or I was yeah. terrified in this. What did the person do? You know, where did the music come in? How was it lit? What were the lenses they were using? What about the camera? What about the performance? What were those different aspects? And study them independently to go, how did they build that scene to make such a memorable, you know, impact on someone? Right. And um, and I wanted to ask if you had particular movies or, or particular scenes, like what we talked about before about, you know, um, Michael Curtiz, you know, um, is, is there anything that you would point uh, filmmakers to in general? Just say, you know, take a look at this. Now, uh, one further thing. What I love about TiVo and UVerse and all these DVR things is that, for example, what I've done is uh, I, one of the books I love is Sidney Lumet's book. Now, Sidney passed, right. and, and, and that's too bad. But what I, I mean, it's sad. I don't mean to. But I went to UVerse, you know, TiVo, the DVRs, and I said, okay, Sidney Lumet. So everything that Sidney's ever done that's on currently, I can record. Right. So I've recorded all of them. 
Now they're all yeah. sitting at about ten or twelve movies in Uvers, and I can watch them one by one. Not necessarily, or I could try and watch them in chronological order in in terms of how he made them. But I can watch them and I can repeat view them, and I can also take his book and go, oh, when he talks about you know Murder on the Orient Express, now let me go look at Murder on the Orient Express and 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 see what he was talking about. So you know the the DVR is is a wonderful for me. It's a wonderful learn, educational tool. You know, because I can go back and look at this stuff. Not only that, but I can rewind the scenes easily. So, oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. So, well, you know, so, I think. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, it's it's well. That's one of the things. You know, it's funny because yeah, you know when we were, you know, I think our generation was the one where you know where VCRs, you know, were produced, <laughs> and yeah, and, and it's uh, yeah, and it's really difficult to explain, you know, to to you know young filmmakers that there was a time when you know there wasn't you couldn't just find anything you couldn't just netflix something or you couldn't just dvr right. something and and that you had to um you know like literally the, the 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 film geek you know as i've said of which i am proudly one would do is they'd get tv guide or you'd get the or you get the tv guide that came with the newspaper and you'd just you know you'd go through the whole week and you'd look for Yes. movies when they were airing and you'd circle them and you'd see that you know they were showing the third man you know at two in the morning on Thursday, and if you know you'd heard if you'd heard about that movie or whatever it is, or Kelly's Heroes or whatever whatever it was, you would stay up and watch it because that was it. You know, it was either there, you either caught it or you didn't catch it. Um, and so those were like the old days of, you know, and and so it was it was harder to study. It was harder to study movies and study those things that we've been talking about. Now there's almost no excuse. I mean, there is no excuse. You can see. Every you can get everything you know virtually instantly. Um, so the 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 studying component or the the analysis component is 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 is, is incredibly easy now. Um, you know if you're if you're if you're inclined. Um, mm-hmm. For me, you know, there's so many movies and so many different filmmakers that that speak to me, and I do think it's a subjective thing. Sure. But but I do think that well, speaking of subjective, I think that's a key word. That's always been a key word for me is subjectivity, um, meaning, you know, uh, through whose eyes are, are you seeing them, through whose eyes or through whose experience are you are you seeing the scene? Now, I mean, in other words, like when you watch a movie, uh, like one of the two filmmakers I, I would say that, 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 that young filmmakers should look at, it, Sidney Lumet is certainly a great example, I mean, you could just learn so much from watching his filmography. But the two I, I mentioned constantly are Scorsese and Hitchcock. Because right. both are supreme masters of of of, of directing in, in totality. I mean, they understand everything about shooting, cutting, everything. Um, they were supreme masters, but they were also intensely um, emotional filmmakers, and their films are just all their films are filled with emotion. And one of the things that both of these filmmakers do is they're 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 masters at putting the viewer inside the head of the characters in the movie. I mean, you are experiencing in a Hitchcock movie, you know, moment, you're in on the moment of, of discovery when somebody finds, you know, finds something or sees something, you are seeing at what they see at the moment that they see it. And so if you look at some of Hitchcock films, whether it's uh, the obvious one is rear window um, or vertigo or something like notorious, when these characters are going through the story, you feel not that you're watching from afar 
these things happening. You feel like you're inside the scene. Um, and that's because Hitchcock was a master at subjective filmmaking. And it's funny, if you, it, in other words, most people already know this, but like the, the basic rules of subjective filmmaking is, and you'll see this in Rear Window, as everybody knows, Jimmy Stewart's in a wheelchair watching his neighbors you know, from binoculars. Mm-hmm. Uh, from his apartment is that you'll shoot you 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 go to a close up of Jimmy Stewart, you know raising up his binoculars, and then you'll cut to literally the point of view through the binoculars of say the you know Miss Torso dancing across the the way, um, a wide shot, um, and then back to Jimmy Stewart's close up of him reacting. And that very simple thing of showing somebody looking at something, showing what they would actually see and then cutting back to that close-up of them reacting is like trapping the viewer in the best way in the head of that character. And that's the opposite of coverage, where you're just shooting masters and overs. You know, you are putting the viewer inside the head of the character. And Scorsese does that in Taxi Driver. Like you, It's amazing. The, the Travis Bickle character is insane, clearly, and yet you identify with him because Scorsese is shooting it in a way so that you have no choice but to literally ride along with this guy's experience and feel what he feels. And I try to apply that, you know, I think that idea of immersion, like how do I get into the scene, is is something that, that I try to do in my own films, certainly in Some Guy Who Kills People, because, you know, in Some Guy Who Kills People, you're dealing with a character who is killing people. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. whether you feel like he's justified or not, yeah. You know, there's, there, he's definitely got blood on his hands, and yet he's, you're supposed to empathize with this guy. And the only way to empathize with him is to, to try to make the audience feel what he's feeling, the pain he's feeling, what motivates these killings, you know, um, the memories. You know, how do you, you know, that, that's, a great, that's a great exercise. Like, how do, you, how do you photograph, how do you direct a memory? You know, like the old... Everyone can probably go immediately to the old standby, which is somebody will say, I remember when, and they scratch their chin, and then it goes to the kind of time-worn optical effect of, you know, wavy motion, like a a fluid sort of ripple effect, you know, and then it goes to cut, then it dissolves through to, you know, an earlier time. Like, how do you convey the feeling of a memory popping into your head? And... You know, all the, anyway, so there, 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 there's always a something to be solved, um, an emotional problem that needs to be solved technically, and that's why the more, going back to what you were saying, the more, um, the more you expose yourself to great films, you know, whether it's Lumet, Hitchcock, Scorsese, and how they actually c- communicated these moments, you're going to gain an insight into how to do it yourself, um, and maybe you build on something that somebody's already done. Um, and you say, wow, that was really amazing how he did this. Um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind, I don't know if we talked about this last time, is, is the pawnbroker, you know. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Speaking of Lumet, I mean, the, the, the uh-huh. pawnbroker, uh, where Rod Steiger plays a concentration camp survivor uh-huh. who is plagued with memories of the camps, you know, if you, I, I, I believe he goes into detail in his book about it, but it's, it's, yeah, that was kind of a breakthrough editorial technique to kind of go to these flash cuts, you know, like uh-huh. he'll be on the train and he's on the subway and he's just, he suddenly gets, you know, it suddenly cuts to six frames of, you know, a dog, 
you know, a barking, you know, German Nazi, German shepherd dog. And you don't even hear the dog. You still hear the sound of the clack of the clack of the train. And that is always, like, I always remember that stuff because that's, you know, when you, memories don't just come in that ripply, like, and then they come in their totality like a scene. Memories sometimes come in these just bursts. Like, you'll look at something, a face will trigger something, and you'll just get this, like, lightning bolt. Well, what is a lightning bolt, a flash image in your mind? How can you communicate that? Is it... Is it, is it in, in cutting? Maybe it is. You know, maybe there's an analogy between something that pops into your head and how fast you cut to something or how long you hold that, that shot. You know? And, you, and that's, that's really the beauty in editing. You, you get into that and you're like, wow, you know, if, I, if I hold this shot for seven frames, it's too long. But if I trim one more frame, yeah, that's what it, feel, that's what it feels like to have that sudden jolt of memory. You know? So I think it's constantly a, a balance between starting with the core feeling that you're trying to communicate, the core emotion, and then how do I get that through, through this technical means? You know, and that's, that's really the kind of, you're wearing two hats. You know, like you're a poet and a scientist at the same time, you know, which is, which is kind of a cool, cool profession, really, when you think about it. It's like the best of everything. You're not this cold clinical thing, but yet you understand technique, you know, um, so, and all the while, you're trying to get at something that's going to hit, you know, not only the viewer, but yourself, to, to make you, like, yes, that's that's what I was going for. It's the painter trying to create that moment of, trying to get out that moment of, uh, that feeling that he was trying to communicate, right, splashing paint. Like, you, he looks at it and he goes, yes, that's, that's, that's what was inside of me. And that's what you're doing in film. It's just a lot, you're just juggling a lot more, a lot more elements. Um, the book, there's a book, uh, that I read recently, which is really, uh, illuminating, which is the book that Richard Schickel's interview with, it's a long, it's a hardback that came out just this year, Richard Schickel's interviews with, with Martin Scorsese. Um, oh, yeah. And it's great because it's extremely candid, uh, about, uh, Scorsese's personal life and his and how it played into his filmmaking and specifically how he went about doing so many of the great moments that we all remember from his films. And um, that is a book I would recommend, uh, Richard Schickel's book on Martin Scorsese, because you get a real, um, it is a candid look at, at the process and what inspired these images and how he went about it and what his philosophy is. Um, I think that's one of the things that you all, we all end up creating as filmmakers, is you, cr- you end up creating your own philosophy, your own methodology for how you express yourself. Um, without it, without a philosophy, um, you end up just sort of just cribbing from a lot of stuff. You start just putting a lot of just shots together that have no, you know, they're not. There's a reason why so many films feel disjointed, or they just film feel like it's an assembly of of cool shots, but don't really have much weight. It's because that's all they are. So I think it's the duty of the filmmaker, whatever movie you're making, if it's comedy or horror movie or whatever it is, is, is to try to be true to um, the feeling of what's going on in these characters. These characters have to be real. This stuff has to be real to you. You know, you have to be inside it. It's the only way to, it's the only way to direct, um, to try to be honest in a way. Because if you're bullshitting and you're just being a stylist, it's going to become apparent pretty quickly. And that's why so many movies feel thin. You know, you're like, yeah, that was kind of cool to look at, but, you know, I don't know. You know, I forget it. You forget it. 
whereas the movies that really stay with you are those that touch you because they weren't bullshitting you. So there's there's that's part of it too, is to find like the most truthful. Yeah. Yeah, I just what I appreciate about this so much is that, uh, and, and I'm going to attack it from two ways. One is that uh, Deborah Patz, who's been a guest on the show, she wrote the book uh, Production Management 101. She said the goal is not to make the movie. The goal is to have an audience see the movie. You know, that's that's her take as a producer, and, and I and I and I really appreciate that because you can make a movie and it can sit in your closet, and no one sees it, and it was a great exercise, but. The reason I think most people want to make movies is for people to see them, and if they keep that in mind um, while they're doing it, it can help connect them with, uh, you know, why they're there and then what they need to do. And then, and then what you just said, you know, so many people string together. They, they they think, you know, I can do this fancy shot and I can do this, and and they do. They put together disjointed things, you know, or they cut together or assemble things that are. You know their homage from all these different filmmakers, right. but, th- right. but they haven't they haven't thought what I'm really here to do is impact the viewer. You know, I want to grab this person and tug at their heartstrings. I want them to have an experience of something, as opposed to you know I just have these shots. And so, you know, what themes that you know or or what you know it it's 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 about. It's you know I, I, there are musicians who I think you know may be technically good but they but they don't get anywhere and then there are those people who with their music suddenly have you know all these fans because they're all out there they can move to the music and they can dance or their love song speaks to them and it reminds them of when their you know the boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them and you know and they cry listening to it each and every time and they remember mm-hmm. it for forty years. Well, film it's the same way you know I mean yeah. you know there are those things that that are so powerful and so profound. And and we sometimes miss the opportunity to to realize that what we're really doing is we're we're make, we're presenting something to a living human being. <laughs> right, so right, they, right. Yeah, you know, so I, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there's a there's a humanity, a human component in anything. You know, even you know the scary the scariest horror movies and the funniest comedies are are usually. You know, it's it's not just. I mean, that's the thing about Ryan's script that I that I about some guy who kills people is that it wasn't just a horror comedy. You know, it right. wasn't just for me. It wasn't just like, oh, look, it's funny and it's scary. You know, yeah, that's 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 good. But you know, I I had to <clears throat> as a director, you have to buy in. Again, it goes back to this no bullshit thing. You have to buy in completely. You have to say, look, I believe in this so strongly that I'm willing to spend a year of my life making this thing. And, and you know, Ryan's script had re- were real people. You know, to me, they right. were real people with real pain and real longing and real, you know, there was a, it was a real there was a real guy. These were real guys, as eccentric as they were. You know, all the characters in the movie, the, the Barry Boswick character, the sheriff, sheriff, as much of a nut as he was, to me, he was a real a real guy. And and. Certainly, Ken Boyd was very real to me. You know, his his pains were were real to me, and his struggles to try to connect with people and his and his strange daughter or the daughter he never really knew, and all of this, you know, was the foundation of the movie. And then that that made the that made that made it made me able to do um, the scenes of suspense and the scenes of of gore and and the comedy scenes. Those all they were all standing on this foundation of, of believability. Um, so it didn't just become about gags or gore scenes or whatever. In other words, the movie wouldn't have to stand on how clever 
like you can only be so clever. So much, so much weight is put on clever. You know, like how clever can we do this action scene? How how visually stunning can this action scene be, or this or this scary scene? And there's nowhere to go with that. You know what I mean? There's, it's like there's only so much CGI you can pile on. There's only so many, you know, there's so many, you know, so many camera moves you can do just for the sake of of titillation. It's only going to be, you know, it's it's like the porn. You know, it's like porn is only ever going to be porn up to a point. You know what I mean? It's like you can see the greatest porn scene you've ever seen, and it's still only ever going to be porn. It's never going to be love, and that's that's the difference. Um, so so if you can find something, a piece of material that you're passionate about that is real to you, then then you're working from a place of you're working from a very strong place. It's it's it's, it's terrifying to think of trying to do a movie that's just reliant entirely upon thrills. Because um, you're gonna, everybody's done it already, and, and, and in most cases, everybody's done it with a much bigger budget than you're gonna have. So all you really have as a, as a filmmaker, as a young filmmaker starting out, if unless you have a, somebody who's gonna give you millions and zillions of dollars, is is the strength of your idea and how and how potent that is, how human that is. Um, and and so clever and and style is like the icing, you know. Like that's what was like. For example, in Ryan, some guy who kills people, the only things that weren't completely fleshed out in the script were some of the murder scenes. You know, there are several murders in the movie, and they were there, but they weren't. You know, they weren't really they weren't written in great detail. Um, so when it came time to do those sequences, um, then I was able to. Uh, kind of riffs on what Ryan had already written and and come up with interesting or at least uh, appropriate ways of of communicating these murders um that were in the that were in the tone of of the movie um and that was like that was fun because it wasn't like the scenes had to rely upon the the movie didn't have to rely on those scenes to be the thing that was going to make the movie work or not um I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is that 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 starting with something that is that like believable characters and and real real feelings is the way to to way to go is the way to go rather than trying to be just be cool because you're always going to be trumped. It's already it's already been done. Cool cool has been done. You know you can only be so cool. Um, no, that's an excellent point. I, I mean, and, and I should say we've got about nine minutes left. Okay. And we're and we've gone long and this is fantastic. And I want to I want to say that we've got a lot to continue to talk about and remind our viewers that you will come back and we'll be scheduling that uh, for sometime in the very near future. Maybe come back next week or two. Um, That works for me. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It works for you. Um, But uh, before we, before we go any further, I just wanted to ask, do you have any, uh, any website or any information you want to give out or any address? Yeah, please. I mean, it's, um, you know, like I said, you know, some, some guy who kills people, you can go to our, um, you can go to our website, some, some guy who kills people.com. Uh, and uh, you know, there's a there's a link to our Facebook page, and uh, and you can Twitter at at some guy who kills. Um, I know that uh, Rex, you posted the first six minutes of the movie as sort of a uh, a teaser. So people who are, are have heard something about the movie, and right now it's playing a bunch of film festivals. Just played Fantasia Fest up in Montreal, and uh, there's several other festivals down the road, including the big one in, in Barcelona in October and. Um, but but you know the film is now in the process of of getting its 
its release. Um, and uh, until then, you know, the trailer is online at our website. There's also the first six minutes that you can take a look at. And, um, yeah, please do. I mean, I, I know we've been talking kind of generally about filmmaking, but, you know, and hopefully in the next, you know, next time we talk, we can talk more about the, the, the specifics of the, of the making of some guy uh, who kills people. Sure, himself. sure. Uh, and then maybe people who have seen some of the uh, some of the, of the stuff online, uh, it'll make you know that'll make more sense. But uh, yeah, no, please visit someguywhokillspeople dot com and, uh, and if you if you feel inclined, please like us on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, we have been speaking generally, and I really I really enjoy it. And I think it'd be a really cool exercise to go through and talk specifically about the making of some guy because then when they do see it, when they can get the DVD or see it in theater or whatever, you know, then then they can they can go back, you know, and analyze. You know, from what we've talked about, you know, and 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 this is what I was talking about with the DV, you know, the DVR and, and a book or something. They they would have that opportunity to listen to the director's commentary on this, um, you know, as as we um, converse about it. So I, I'm excited with that notion. I, yeah, I wanted yeah. To, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just no, going no, to I wanted to. No, no, you go <laughs> ahead first. <laughs> no, no, you, you. <laughs> we had to listen, but. Um, I wanted to say that what I thought was a really cool exercise for, I guess, exercise sake, because, you know, what you said about the TV guide, you know, back in the day, you know, as we grew up, you know, Disney released a movie once every seven years. You couldn't see it unless it came back around again. You know, television, right. you had to wait until something re-ran. And if you saw it and it showed on a Tuesday night, it didn't show again until it showed again. So. We, you didn't have that access, and and to be a filmmaker, you had to buy film stock, and then eventually video stock. And it was, you know, now anybody can get almost anything, anytime, and they can pick up a camera, and they can pick up software, and they can and make it. Your exercise, what you said about, you know, what does you know a memory flash inside someone's head? What is that like, and how do you convey it? And I just and I just thought, how cool would that be if you got like say ten filmmakers together and said, okay, here's your task. <laughs> You know, right. Now go out and figure out what lens you need, what movement you need, how you light it, what you know, what you do in order to convey this so that it has the kind of emotional impact that you really hope it has, and then screen it, not not necessarily together, but screen it for different audiences and find out if in fact they they did what they set out to do. You know, did the audience get that this was you know uh -huh. what they intended? Yeah, I think that's a great exercise. I mean, it's a great exercise for any filmmaker, too. You know, I mean, any young filmmaker, you know, is to pick, you know, pick that pick that thing, whether it's a memory flash or, you know, just like I said, a general feeling, you know, like, right. anxi you know, anxiety, you know. Uh, how do I shoot that? You know, and start right. to fool around with different techniques and, and see what, what comes closest to that feeling that as you know it, you know. And then, like I said earlier, that's when you start to – Okay, then you tick that off. You're like, okay, now I know if I do this, I can communicate truthfully that that feeling, and and it'll become less of an abstraction. The filmmaking process will become less of this like mysterious thing, you know. Um, that's what's so interesting is that every movie you see that really works is a beautiful, mysterious, poetic thing. It's a magical thing, which is why we go we look at movies, and yet it still is the accumulation of a zillion choices that have been made by the filmmaker to um to create that or to convey that you know uh 
and that's that's what makes the job such an exciting one. You know, that's that's why it's better than just you know going to you know going to work. You know, because it's because it's 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 creating and. Uh, um, and it's and I still find you know I'm still on I'm still finding stuff watching movies I'm still finding techniques I'm still finding I'm like oh shit you know and that really gets me excited I'm like wow he did this you know uh, that's great I want to I want to see if I can do something like that or or, or expand on that um, it kind of keeps you alive you know it keeps you inspired. Well, that is just absolutely fantastic, and you know, we are just about nearly out of time with just a couple minutes remaining. Actually, about a minute remaining, and um, and uh, you know, I got to say that it's the kind of thing that almost, it almost not only could you do in filmmaking, but people ought to do in in everyday life. You know, you're right. You're absolutely anxious, right. That's if my I make people like, <laughs> you know, what do, what do I do that makes people anxious? How do I do to make them relaxed? What do I do to make them feel validated? You know what I mean? In other words, you know, all, if you do, you know, pick a theme or or an an emotion like that as a filmmaker and, and go through and and do what what you were saying, Jack. I think is is awesome. I think it's a, it's an incredibly potent exercise. Oh, thank you, thanks, Rex. Um, yeah, no, I, like I said, it's uh, you know, I mean, there, if anybody's interested, you know, I, I've made several films. You know, yeah. and and you know, like for example, if anybody Netflix, it does the Netflix instant thing. Um, there's a film I made. One of my earliest films was a film called The Big Empty, which was made in 1997. There's another John Favreau movie that that he was in. That's not same title, but The Big Empty from 1997 is one of my first movies that you can stream. And I uh-huh. think that if anybody's interested, they can look at that. And there are a lot of things that I've been talking about about how to how to communicate kind of these emotions visually. Um, it's a really good example, and, and subjective camera, like telling a story through the eyes of a, of a particular character. In this case, a, a kind of a lonely private detective, um, is a good is a good thing to look at. Um, and um, you know, obviously, I wish everybody. Hopefully, everybody will see some guy who kills people when it comes out. Right now, it 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 in, in and of itself remains an abstraction to most people because they haven't seen the movie yet. But sure. Um, but it really is the that that this movie, Some Guy Who Kills People, is really the the first film in many many years that I that I'm genuinely proud of and excited about. And uh, one of the things we can get into next time is is just like we made it for you know for pennies, uh, and that's one of the things that preparation, understanding the process fully, will enable you to do as a filmmaker is to actually do something for nothing. Um, that's what the knowledge enables you to do, you know do something for basically cheap that still, you know, looks, feels, and works as a movie. Oh, that's awesome. And we will. I, cool. I, and I look forward to that. We'll do that within the next couple of weeks. And, and so people should stay tuned and listen and also help share and get the word out when Jack is coming back. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen to it because I know you get a lot of value out of that as well. Thanks so much for being here, Jack. You've been uh, awesome as as always, and I'll talk to you in just a couple minutes, to, you know, uh, privately once the show is over. And uh, and uh, but in the meantime, have a fabulous day. Take care and uh, and Thanks, really Rick. look Thanks so to much for coming. having me. No, no, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
All right, everybody, that was Mr. Jack Perez, director of Some Guy Who Kills People. Go to somebody who kills I'm sorry, go to some guy who kills dot com. Uh, and there is a link to the uh, Facebook page, friends page there of some guy who kills people. If you're on Facebook, look them up and uh, like the page. It's it's a wonderful movie, and I can't wait until you can see it. So uh, and hopefully you'll be able to do that soon. Um, listen, and you can follow them at some guy who kills at uh, Twitter, and you can follow me at Twitter uh, by um, following Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT. Last word is abbreviated. And uh, you can become a friend of mine on Facebook by clicking on the like of Rex Sykes Movie Beat at Facebook. I'm at that place now where I can't really add friends or click on like pages myself because of Facebook's rules. But uh, we could be in touch if you go to Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook and, and, and like that page as well. So all right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Uh, make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, go ahead and tweet about this. Facebook it, share it, email, phone call, but get the word out, rate, review the shows, and please do leave comments whenever you're listening live or archived. And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>